Start on a heavy note, it'll get lighter. Next one, Mark. 1 Peter, the, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, this is a battle, so we've got an enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So in this spiritual battle, there is a bad guy who's actually looking around trying to come and devour you. It's not good news. But also, it's not just you. So if you think, oh man, I'm under such attack at the moment, this passage tells us it's not just you. Satan is trying to take out all believers. This is a world at war. And we don't see it as that sometimes. And instead, we think we're at war with each other. We're in a spiritual war in the unseen spiritual world. We need to resist the devil. Um, two weeks ago, Graham introduced the theme of spiritual warfare uh, and spiritual armor. Um, and he said that the purpose of having armor is to be able to stand, to make a stand. And he made the point, if we make a stand for God, then God makes a stand for us. And maybe our stand is a tiny weeny little stand in some kind of, I'm just trying to make a stand, and then God comes in as God and makes a stand with us and holds us up. Um, last week, um, John talked about the belt of truth. I always get distracted by John because it looks like he spends the whole service texting instead of actually listening. But what he's doing is making notes so that he can furnish the home groups with uh, questions afterwards. Well, I think that's what you're doing. Or are you texting? So you're speaking to your son. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> um, so John talks about the belt of truth. Um, and the key point I took from that, uh, and I'm sure you've all taken something different from it, but the key point for me was that just as Jesus, when he was in the wilderness and suffering temptation from the devil, he used truth, scripture, to combat the devil. Well, actually, when we know truth, the lies of the enemy won't stick because we can combat them with truth. So that was good. Thank you, John. And today we're talking about righteousness. And righteousness is kind of a funny thing because it's not a quality that we, um, we see that much of in the world. I was having a conversation via text message with somebody yesterday who, who's had a car accident and um, they think that their car might be written off. And I was having this conversation saying, well, let me tell you what your car is worth because you need to know because the insurance company will try and have you. You need to negotiate. And uh, let me just read you... Uh, what this person said, who obviously had had a little birdie tell him what I was talking about today. And he said, ooh, I trust the insurance company will be wearing the breastplate of righteousness. How many people's insurance companies are renowned for wearing the breastplate of righteousness <laughs> when valuing your car that's been written off? <laughs> It'd be refreshing, wouldn't it? So what is righteousness? Um, in the dictionary, you get something along the lines of behavior that is morally justifiable or right. Um, so it's behavior that, that kind of looks like um, it meets accepted standards of morality or justice or virtue or uprightness. Everybody can agree that it's right. It's not individual, it's universal or largely. But that's at a human level. In the Bible... Um, the standard of righteousness is a little bit trickier. If anyone's read the Bible, they might have noticed some of the things it says. It's actually characterized as um, God's perfection is righteousness. 
in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, and every word. How are you doing with that, guys? Righteousness equals God's perfection. And the Bible has an awful lot of rules in there, uh, both moral and um, behavioral. But actually, the laws are there to kind of describe um, God's character and using that as the kind of measure for our righteousness against God's character. So some people use the phrase plumb line. If you're a builder, you've used a plumb line with a weight on the bottom and the piece of string holds straight. And God's character is that plumb line against which our righteousness could be measured. I doubt I'm doing very well, (laughs) if I'm honest. But the Greek word in the New Testament used for righteousness seems to more point towards our conduct in relation to other people, maybe in business dealings or in uh, arranging something with somebody or in a relationship, it being right and fair at an accepted standard. And the contrast of righteousness in the Bible, what's the opposite of righteousness? It's actually wickedness, which is somebody who has no respect for God or for their fellow man. Righteousness, wickedness. Um, And in Psalm 33, we see that the Bible, it describes the righteous person as being just or right, holding to God and trusting in him. It would have been easy today in preparing a talk on righteousness to have said about the benefits of behaving well and trying harder and harder to behave even better because then, you know, people won't be able to touch us and the breastplate of righteousness will guard us. And that's about works. And uh, as you'll see, we're not going quite in that direction because I don't think that's what this is about. Uh, Mark, Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. Anyone find their righteousness ends up feeling a bit like a filthy rag? The best efforts go a bit wrong, or a lot wrong. And there's a problem with trying hard to be righteous. Has anyone heard the phrase self-righteous? Have you ever used it in a good way? It comes with some other words around it sometimes that are even more negative when referring to somebody self-righteous. I decided not to pick a film clip with one in today, but I thought that might illustrate the point. You know, sometimes when we're trying to be righteous by our standards or for our purposes, that it's self-righteousness. And actually, you know, that comes across as looking smug, self-satisfied, complacent, pious, holier than thou, too good to be true. Ever seen anyone like that? Ever felt like it yourself? I do. Um, And and being self-righteous is really independent because it's about me and my standards. It's not about God and his standard. It's about me being okay with myself. It doesn't come out of love and relationship with the Father. It isn't motivated by the right things. It's motivated by the wrong things. It's us trying to be the highest authority in our lives. 
It looks a lot like pride or ego. It replaces God. I'm just going to kind of take a little brief segue off to the side to mention something about ego that you might like. Uh, Mark will flick it up for me. Ego, we could either say, is edging God out when it's my ego, but how about swapping it or replacing it with exalting God only? I nicked it from a book, it's not mine. (laughs) But you might find it helpful when you think about ego to think, instead of um, edging God out, let me exalt God only. So everything I do is going to turn it back up to God. It's going to reflect him, not me. So true and perfect righteousness, um, I think, and uh, you can disagree if you want, is not possible for us to attain on our own. The standard is simply too high. Any nods? Any amens? It's not there. So to not end on a negative point, (laughs) um, how can we put on the breastplate of righteousness? Because we're told to do so, and... uh, The New Testament doesn't normally tell us the impossible things. There's normally an answer. Um, And there is some good news at this point in the service. Anybody like good news? I like good news. True righteousness is possible for us through the cleansing of sin by Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. Ian, I thought you would go with the amen at that point. No, you can say it. Do you want me to try again? Good news, true righteousness is possible for us through the cleansing of sin by Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside us. Thank you, Ian. Let's give give God a clap. We can't do this on on our own, but God's made a plan in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 tells us that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that In him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, this deal happened. And it's a good deal for us. Jesus took away our sin and gave us his perfect blameless righteousness. This is amazing. It's another amen. 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 As Christians... We possess the righteousness of Christ. And you didn't earn it. It wasn't because you tried hard. It was because you accepted the free gift of God through grace by faith. It's not by works that we're saved. It's by grace through faith. John said it last week and I'll repeat it this week quite happily. On the cross, Jesus took our sin and exchanged it for his perfect righteousness. Now there's definitely an element of the now and not yet about this. When we stand before the Father, he is going to see Jesus' righteousness. But clearly, every action and every word that I say and speak and do isn't yet righteous. I am being made righteous. One day I'll be there. It's not yet, but it's on the way, and it is an intention and a direction of travel. Hopefully. Um, So we're just going to turn to Colossians 3 now, Mark. Verses 1 to 4. 
You've had this one already, so you're in double dose of this, but it's a really good passage. I bet Rosemary likes this one. She's nodding, yeah, I thought she would. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. We saw that in baptism two weeks ago. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we had the symbolism of baptism two weeks ago, of dying to our old life, and then coming up in new life. And we had the symbolism of communion this morning of Jesus' death and remembering that and drinking in his life in the blood because the life is in the blood. So we've died and we've taken on Jesus' life. Our identity is entirely inside of him. But the passage earlier on is still telling us to seek the things that are of above. Not that we haven't got his righteousness, but that ourselves are still being cleaned up and moving towards it. You're not seeking those things in order to get God's righteousness. You've got it. It's yours. You've just got to receive the gift. We're righteous because he has made us righteous. When we stand in front of the Father, instead of seeing that sin, it's been exchanged. Sees the righteousness. It's a gift. Um, I saw Jean was one of the first people I saw when I came to church this morning, and Jean said, Ooh, righteousness. I think your arms went up. Ooh. <laughs> and she said, The thing is, it's Jesus, isn't it? And I mean, that's kind of the answer sometimes in church, isn't it? <laughs> What's the answer to the problem? Jesus. But it really is this time. Um, we're going we're gonna to repeat the Corinthians scripture as well, just I want to highlight something from it. So 1 Corinthians 1, uh, I've actually got 26 to 31, you might have an extra verse. Um, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of noble birth. You know, this, this kingdom that God's building, it's not about the status that you were born into and it's not about earthly wisdom god chose the foolish things of the world to change the shame at the wise god chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong god chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and even the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are in Christ Jesus. You are in him who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. So all the things that this world calls wisdom... All the good logic or advisors or videos we can watch on YouTube, all the wisdom that we can gain of this world is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God, that is Christ Jesus. So how do we respond to this amazing gift of righteousness? What do we do with it? Because it's fine being told you've been made righteous and you think, yay, what now? 
How do we respond? And I think we've got to take it back to where we started this little conversation this morning, which is that this is a spiritual battle. And we're talking about the brass plate, and I don't know how much symbolism Paul wanted us to read into each of these, these pieces of armor, but what does the brass plate protect? Your heart. This is a battle for the heart, and there's a prowling lion prowling around who wants to devour you and wants to take you out. He wants you to lose heart. And God's righteousness, which is Jesus, is going to protect our heart. Who's the ultimate authority in your life? And this might be something you want to ask yourself in quiet in a few minutes. Who is the ultimate authority in your life? Is it you or is it God? Whose standard is the right one? Is it your standard or is it God's standard? Do I live for Richard Whitney and what Richard Whitney thinks is right? Do I live for this much higher standard of God and what he thinks is right? And recognize that in me is a mess that is actually not redeemable by my my good works, but by Jesus' righteousness. It says at the end of that scripture that's still on the screen, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I think we need to let go of pride. I need to let go of pride. This is about God. This is about putting it all back to him. I need to remember that my ego isn't to edge God out, but it's to exalt God only. Let's put God back in his place in our lives and receive from him instead of trying to do it ourselves. Um, now, I need a long-legged person, so Tim, could you just give me a hand with this illustration? We haven't practiced this, and it might be very uncomfortable for you and us, but we'll see. If you could just stand there in a godlike fashion, uh, maybe this way a bit, this way a bit, just for a moment, imagine that Tim is God. And um, we can kind of come as children, I said it'd be uncomfortable, and we can <laughs> cling on to Father God. We can hold on tight, and it says that our identity is found in him. And my children come and do this sometimes. If they're a bit scared, if there's someone else around that they're not sure of, they come and hold on tight. And like, Graham said about standing, maybe it's more of a clinging. We come and stand knowing that Daddy God's got us, and then he's there, and everything's okay. Thanks, Tim. That's enough awkwardness. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> yeah. Our Father has won the victory. Our identity is in him. Amen. You haven't got to try and impress him. He loves you, as Ian shared this morning. He loves you with this completeness of love that we can't even begin to imagine. He loves you unconditionally. And herein comes an unusual challenge to what people think of church, you know, what people on the outside think of what Christianity is about. It's about kind of being the whip being cracked from the front and being told to try harder, you know, do better. You can live better. Well, this morning I'm suggesting that maybe we can identify the areas in our life to stop trying. If that's not heresy. To stop trying to be self-righteous. To stop trying to be righteous in our eyes and to stop 
trying to be good because we think that's what we should do, but instead to ask and accept and receive the gift of Jesus into our hearts, to come and cleanse us with his righteousness and ask him about those areas where we're trying to be righteous and ask him to cleanse them and bring about a different level of righteousness that's on a different plane, a spiritual level. Can I pray for you this morning? I'm going to pray for you anyway. (laughs) You can say amen or not. God, we thank you that you are absolutely perfect, absolutely spotless, absolute righteousness. You're the plumb line, you're the standard. I repent, God, when I've put my own standard in place of yours. Please clean me up. Please show me what your standard is. Please show me what you look like. Please show me what your righteousness looks like and what it's outworking in my life is. Where I've been trying to do it myself, God. Where I've been worrying what other people think. Where I've been worrying what it'll feel like if I make that decision or do that action. I pray that you'd take away fear, take away pride, and instead turn me to you. We know that you're not safe, God, and the things that you ask us to do and the way that you ask us to live won't be comfortable, but it will be good. And I pray that you give us the bravery to trust you this morning, that you give us faith. You say that faith is a gift from God and it comes by hearing. And I pray that this morning you would come and give us a dose more faith than we've got. The faith to trust you whatever the circumstances, the faith to step out in righteousness even when it seems risky. The faith, to trust, the faith to trust you to even know what righteousness is in a given situation. Help us be dependent, not independent. Help us cling to you, Daddy God. And Father, just as I pray for us all, I pray that even as we just sit here with maybe our hands open to receive from you, that you would just pour out righteousness by your spirit. Thank you that you gave us your spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and live in us. You come and make your home. And thank you that you help us live differently in a way that we can't on our own. So we just receive the Holy Spirit this morning. Pray that you would set us alight, not out of a drivenness and acts of service, but out of love that you would fill us with your love and that we would reciprocate in love for you, God. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us and fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen.